Well, I'm glad I have my, my friend Irvin is here today. I always pick on Irvin because he's a, he's a PhD in psychology. And Irvin and I have good psychological conversations. I usually go to him when I need to get myself figured out with something. I'm just kidding. But I like psychology. I really like psychology. I, 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 some people back away from psychology a little bit when it comes to integrating that with theology. Psychology is the scientific study of the human mind and its functions, especially those affecting behavior in a given context. Well, I want to tell you something. Your psychology affects your behavior in this given context of how you live, love, worship, treat other people. Your theology is affected by your psychology. It matters a whole lot. And the brain is one of the most interesting parts of spirituality to me. And whether, you know, I, I know sometimes people that they don't really like that idea. Um, it rather, let's, you know, we're, we're led by the Spirit. We're, 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 we're just, God is guiding our every step. Well, that is good, and that's true. God is guiding you, but God also gave you a brain that he wants you to use. And in Jewish thinking, that's a very, very significant part of how Judaism teaches us to live life. A Jewish perspective, a Torah perspective, is that our brains are really, really important to health and happiness, spiritually speaking. Deuteronomy. See, I am placing before you today a blessing and a curse. Later, chapter 30, at near the end of the Torah, the takeaway, God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life or death, blessing or curse. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your children might live. That's a choice. And in some factor, that is psychology. Your brain helps you make choices. It involves brain power. And in Jewish thought, our greatest task is to be guided by God's instruction, that is the Torah, to make good choices. Even in this week's Torah portion, I mentioned it. You know, we, we, the, the judges, when we don't know what to do, it tells us, when we have an issue that's too big for us to figure out, we take it to the, to the Kohanim, the Levim, and the judge that's ruling in the place that God has set his name. And they render a decision for us. And then once that decision is rendered, we walk by it. We do not depart from the right or to the left. That's a choice to listen, to submit your behavior and your thinking to this decision. Even a king who we read about in this week's Torah portion, he's given this, this supreme role over the people. And it tells him in the Torah that when he's seated on his royal throne, he shall have a copy of this teaching, the Torah, written for him on a scroll by the Levitical priests. Let it remain with him. Let him read it all his life so that he may learn to revere his God. Where do you learn? You learn in your brain. You learn things in your heart, too, and they're very connected. And the heart was sort of the, the center of uh, you know, the emotional learning. But your brain and your intellectual psychology is really, really important when it comes to how you live your life. But there is a huge potential problem with the brain and the psychology of a human being as it relates to life and spiritual health. It's very simple. For many people, choosing is uncomfortable or, or it's difficult. 
Number one area where husbands and wives tend to get in the fight is when they get in the car and they're trying to decide where they're going to go eat. Because nobody wants to make a decision. And then once the husband does make a decision, the wife says, no, nah, I don't like that. But I thought you wanted to, you said I could choose. Well, how about this? Okay, that's, I don't really want to go there. And so you have this, this thing, choosing, but I'm talking about much bigger choices than where you're going to eat a bean burrito. Choices in your life Making good choices is hard sometimes, and that's why we don't do it in many cases. What we often default to are our habits. Habits are one of my favorite things to study and learn. We, have ex- we, we default to them in so many ways. And this is a God-given gift that you have habits, that you have things that put your life to some degree on autopilot. Can you imagine how difficult it would be trying to get out of bed, take a shower, pick out your clothes, brush your teeth, get in your car, drive your car, go to work, do your work. If you don't have set things that just happen, if every single decision requires making complicated choices, you would never get out of bed in the morning. So there are things like that. But those habits, not how you get dressed, but those that habitual lifestyle spills over into our spiritual lives. And when our brain moves to autopilot in the things of spiritual health, that is loving God, serving God, caring for others, how you pray, how you study, all these things. Generally, in so many things in life, we default to comfort. We default to what we've always done or what comes easy, what doesn't require a ton of effort. And in that process, you establish something called, I think in the Midwest, when they say ruts, they're talking about like the things that are under trees. You ever heard someone say, I, he, I, I chopped down a tree and it's root, it's rut came up. I'm not talking about those kind of Minnesota ruts. When we live our lives by habits, we live in ruts, ruts, things where we set our path and do not deviate. Spiritual ruts are not great. Now, this I'm going to do today, something that I like to call peaching. Some people don't like to be preached to. Andy, I had a conversation with him. He said, I, we were talking about something last week. He, he said, I, I appreciated your Preaching, you don't do that a lot. You, you teach more than preach. So today I decided I'm going to peach. We're in Georgia. It's a combination of preaching and teaching, okay? So I want to give you a, an example, of a, a, a mind picture. Imagine a farmer who every day wakes up early, gets dressed, goes to the barn, fires up the tractor, revs the engine, puts it in gear, and heads out into the field. And every single day, he goes the same way, on the exact same path every day. What happens? Well, the first day is a little bit of a rough ride. Even with the big tractor tire, you're still you're, you're kind of blazing a new path. The second day, it gets a little bit better. But a month or so out, going the same way every day, those big tractor tires have created a path or ruts. So much so that about six or eight months later, the farmer can do his habitual routine, line up the tires with those ruts, put it in gear and go, and he's going to the same 
place in the same direction, same destination, and never even put his hand on the steering wheel. If he applies just a little bit of forward pressure, he can basically just close his eyes and ride in the ruts to the same place. He's asleep. So for the moment, I want you to just tuck that, tuck that away. Choices, habits, ruts, farmers. You're, you're, right now, you're watching the farmer. He's got these tires, and they're just in that rut, and he's driving out into his field to do what he does. You got that? Keep him right there in your mind. Now, I want you to consider the high holidays. As we enter some very uncomfortable times, what's uncomfortable about the high holidays? Who likes to not eat or drink water for 25 hours? That's Yom Kippur. It's a little bit uncomfortable. Rosh Hashanah, we've got, a, we've got a symbol for these. The symbol of Yom Kippur is denial. The, not a river in Egypt. The symbol for, the, for Rosh Hashanah, or as Dave calls it, Rosh Hashanah, is the what? The shofar, right? We, we have this, this awakening sound, and it's very much in your face saying, wake up. That's Maimonides' thing. Even in, the, even in the prophets today, in the Isaiah reading, we're hearing, awake, awake, get up, Israel. You're in, you're in a rut. You're in, you're in this, this terrible pattern of idolatry and bad choices. Awake, Isaiah says. That's what the shofar is supposed to say. If you don't know what a shofar is, it's the ram's horn, and you can come on Rosh Hashanah and hear it blown a hundred times. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, ask your friend next to you, and they'll explain Rosh Hashanah. But the, the instruction to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a divine commandment with no obvious rationale offered by the scriptures. There is a clear underlying message inherent within the sound of the shofar, awaken sleepers from your deep sleep and those who slumber from your dozing. But awakening actually begins before the high holidays. It begins right now. And I'm waiting for somebody in here to go to sleep so that I can scream awake and it will be in context with the message. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. Right now, last Saturday, we talked about the month of Elul. We talked about hearing the shofar every day during the month of Elul, a blast to do what? What does the shofar in Elul want you to do? Wake up, thank you. Awaken, awaken, prepare your heart. So every day this month, except Shabbat, you're supposed to hear the sound of the shofar and something is supposed to happen. It is an awakening, but it's a call to the word I introduced you to last week, which you know very well. Teshuva, you say in English and Hebrew, it sounds like tshuva, Okay. Teshuva, repentance, turning, course correction, forgiveness, how, how important that is for you and for others. And so what does a farmer on a tractor or anything else I've had to do, had to say, have to do with teshuva and, and all these things? Well, teshuva has a very big meaning. It does mean to turn, repent. But for many of us, when you hear the word repent, what do you immediately think of? Sin like really gross things that I need to stop doing. I'm walking this way. I need to turn around and do better. I got to stop being a sinner. 
Repent. Repent. Sin, sinner's evil. But there's another important connection, consideration really to teshuva, simpler. And it is an awakening, yes, to repent, but it's also just an awakening to change. Now, aren't those the same things, repent and change? I want to explore it just a minute because here's the deal. For many of us, as I look out here, I'm not, I don't have a camera on you 24-7. You don't have one on me, thank God. I don't know what your lives are like out of here, but I know you pretty well, and I don't know that anyone is like living in desperately wicked sin. And so some of it is not, it's, it's hard to relate sometimes to this idea of repentance. I got to really, I got to, these days I got to turn my wicked, terrible self around. And people are like, man, I mean, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like I, I have some spots I want to work on, but I, I haven't killed anybody. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nice. And, and so to that I say, that is good. That is good. It's very good to not be living in grievous, horrendous sin. But I want to ask you the question. I'm doing pretty good. Are you really doing good? And I don't mean it in the sense of there's not one good. No one is righteous. I'm not saying that. When you say I'm doing pretty good, are you really doing good? How much of your life is on autopilot? How much of your spiritual life is on autopilot? How much of your day, spiritually, relationally, occupationally, is controlled by habit? Or are you living out the fullness of the life that God has set before you? That he's given you a choice to live out to the max? Or, how many of you are on the tractor? with your eyes closed, kind of asleep, driving out to the same field you've been plowing for 5, 10, 25, 50 years, figuratively speaking, just going through the motions. And saying things like, well, you know, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice season. This is who I am. This is this is the best I'm going to be, or more, more, more powerfully, I'm ha- I don't want to change. I don't need to change. And I thought, you know, as I phrase this message, because I'm talking to a lot of deep thinkers here. We talk about deep things, and that's why I don't do a lot of, quote, preaching by that sense of, like, giving analogies of farmers on tractors to describe your life. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, gosh, do, these, do they really need to hear this? Is there anything of value here? And then I got this email from Rabbi Nehemiah Coopersmith at Aish. And it said this, and, and it just, I love it when God makes it easy. Don't you? Don't you love it when God just says, there you go, take that, you'll know you're doing the right thing. So I read this email, and here's what Rabbi Coopersmith says. We are creatures of habit and live chunks of our lives on autopilot, going through the motions and letting our free will muscles atrophy. To jumpstart your spiritual growth, stop being a zombie and strengthen your free will muscles by making active choices. 
That's why every morning during a month of Elul, the shofar is blown. It's your daily reminder to wake up, break your routine, wrestle with your lethargy, go to battle with your laziness, negativity, repeat cycles of giving up. And this is just fantastic, what he writes here. The Hebrew month of Elul, which began this week, is the last month of the year, Rosh Hashanah, right? It's the head of the year. The head of the year. So Rosh Hashanah, Elul this month. I mean, I'm sorry, Rosh Hashanah is the head. If Elul's the last, it means it's the feet. And what Rabbi Coopersmith points out is that Elul, the end of the year being the feet, that word in Hebrew is regel, which shares the same Hebrew root as habits. The end of the year, you are sitting there evaluating what's to come and your habits, and it's the end, and it's the foundation of your life is built in your habits. And for many of us, we're taking our habitual feet and walking through the ruts. And habits are good, but sometimes change is required. And even small ones, even small turns can produce big rewards. So here it is, back to our farmer. Picture him. Eyes half-closed half asleep, running out in his ruts, barely pressing the gas, driving down, and all of a sudden, you're the farmer. And you're half asleep at the wheel. Hands aren't even on the wheel. And all of a sudden, you wake up on a lule, riding your lazy, rutted tractor, and you hear, right in front of you. Now, I don't blow the shofar on Shabbat, so that was the best I could do. I could do some other ones. But when you're half asleep on your tractor and your hands aren't even on the wheel and all of a sudden you hear, you go, whoa, grab the wheel, push the gas, maybe jerk out of the way. And all of a sudden... I'm awake, okay, I'm awake, and just a little turn, what happened? Ba-boom, ba-boom, the tires come over the side of these ruts, all of a sudden with this little tiny jerk churn that the shofar awakened in you, you're headed in a new direction. And you're awake, and you're aware. And in that process of awakening and the call to tshuva, to change, to break out, something's happening. It's our story right now because maybe we're not terrible sinners. You know I'm not a fan of that idea that God thinks we're despicable and hates us and just is waiting to send us to hell until we just say a few words, but then it's all fine. I think God loves us, and I think he thinks we're pretty darn good. And he gives us all kinds of ways to live a fantastic life. So maybe we're not horrible sinners, but my goodness, my goodness, can I make better choices? Can I fix even small things in my life? My health, my finances, my attitude, my gratitude, my relationships, my productivity, my outlook on life. And the next thing you know, just with one tiny 
turn that busts you in a different direction, something great is happening. Remember Carrie Underwood? Jesus, take the wheel. Remember that song? (laughs) Well, I've got news for you. Sometime God wants you to take the wheel. Sometimes God wants you to take the wheel, and he gave you a season in his calendar to do just that, and it is right now. And can you even imagine it? Thank God. Thank God for the days of Elul and the soul-searching and introspection and even the willingness to make one change. And when you do that, when you get on this, I'm sorry to be so cheesy, this Teshuvah tractor in the morning... You're headed in a new direction, and it's not like you have to say, whoa, going the wrong way. Let's get this thing turned around, baby. It's like, different. And you know something? Five feet back from where you were, five feet out from where you were, it's not that big of a difference. It's really not. But if you keep plugging, and you don't have to Boom, floor the gas and think, I got to do it. I got to get it all done. Hmm." 10, 50 feet out, figuratively speaking, it's a little different. Half a mile out from the point where you started and made the turn, it's a lot different. Five miles out, you are exploring totally new space new fields to plow, new things to accomplish, and you don't even remember what it was like back there because you moved so far from it with just a little bit of awakening and turn. And so sorry, the tractor thing works. It's a good analogy, if I do say so myself. (laughs) That's part of real repentance. And that's why we're talking about that in an Elul series titled Real Repentance, to come out of the holidays just a little bit better. A little bit better. To have made one simple change that that next year at, at Rosh Hashanah, 5784 Rosh Hashanah, you're not going, man, I remember back, I remember last year when I, Decided I want to do that better. That didn't happen. Oh, well, let me try again this year. No, try now. Get started. Do something. Be active. Make good choices. Stop being a zombie caught in lethargy. That's not an insult. Rabbi Cooper said it. I didn't write that. (laughs) There's a, 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 a great coach. His name's Phil Stutz. He's... he. He wrote this, once you realize you can change even a little bit, it changes your whole view of the future and, frankly, changes your whole view of yourself. People don't have to change their whole being quickly, but they do have to have some sense of forward motion. Without forward motion, you don't have hope, and without hope, it becomes very difficult to deal with adversity and to deal with failure. So as my teaching continues, I just want to say this. It's time to wake up and have you know, realize, God, autopilot stinks. I don't want to do that. I want to do things. I want to be different. I want to be better. Show me habits to bust, choices to make, to choose life. Maybe it's to stop complaining so much. Who could benefit from that? 
If you're a complainer, the person sitting next to you could, but they won't raise their hand because you'll complain about that. Stop complaining so much. Make that turn. Kill a habit. That thing that comes naturally, the habit you've developed. That's teshuva. That's an improvement. Maybe it's to stop judging people, finding fault in everyone but yourself, never looking in the mirror. That's a really bad habit. We're all guilty of it. Maybe that's a little change we could make. Just a little tweak to the wheel. And six months later, looking back, all of a sudden, wow, I'm an encourager. I I inquire about other people's lives first. I've developed the habit of listening more than I talk. All turns for the better. And my brother, Paul, he really got this thing, you see. Not that I've already grasped it or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that, for which I was even taken hold of by Messiah Yeshua. Brothers and sisters, I don't regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Messiah Yeshua. Last week we talked about forgiving and not forgetting and the sort of physiological impossibility of that. But that's a good kind of forgetting that Paul just talked about. Did you hear what he said? I'll tell you again what he said. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward. It does not matter what you've failed in up to this point. It really doesn't. And I'm sorry if, you know, if, if, if that's something that's a struggle for you. Well, that's a great habit to get out of right now. Stop looking back. Just work on looking forward. This Canadian actress, I love her quote. I don't know who she is. You may have a fresh start any moment you choose. For this thing that we call failure is not the falling down, but the staying down. Mary Pickford. It's a good one. Good one. These days are about change, about what you do next. Not about yesterday's ruts or last year's ruts or your lifetime of ruts. And here's this really important thing that I also loved from Rabbi Cooper Smith. You see, Judaism has this big picture of God, the eternal God, like unapproachable, ain sof, without end. And sometimes that can get a little distant. I've heard people say, I remember back, you know, when, when Jesus was always so close. Now I'm in Messianic Judaism and it like kind of feels like God's far away. God's not far away. This is the time, spiritually speaking, when he comes closest to you. And so it's a very good time for some heart-to-heart conversations with God. Open up and talk to him. Share your feelings, your fears, your anger, whatever is weighing down your heart. It doesn't have to be in here. It doesn't have to be in here. It doesn't have to be anywhere but you just being open to God, putting your hands on the wheel and saying... Make a little turn. Let's see what happens. David said in Psalm 51, Lev brali Elohim, v'ruach nachon chadesh b'kirbi. Create in me what? Lev tahor, a clean heart. Now David was coming off of a horrendous sin. He had gone into Bathsheba, murder. Nathan had come to him and said, You're the one, man. You're the one. And he says, create in me a clean heart. But he goes on to say the second part. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
He was crying out for the clean heart, the repentance from the grievous sin. And that may be you this holiday. That's a good thing. You need to do that. You need to confront that. You need to get, make amends. You need to do what you can if you've got some grievous David-style sin going on. God forbid. But it might be this that the second part speaks to many of us in this room. Renew. Chadesh. Renew this spirit. God, wake me up, please. Just wake me up. Just wake me up. Help me bust out. Because, you know, in Yeshua, we have this, we, we can receive, we, we receive this clean heart, and especially powerfully during these times. But I want you to take a heart transplant recipient as an example. His habit prior to his heart transplant was, I ate a few boxes of fried chicken, a couple chocolate pies, smoke a pack of camels, a couple pints of bourbon, you know, average day for me. Some of my good habits. Well, it's no wonder the guy needs a heart transplant. But if he doesn't change his habits post-transplant, guess what? He's dead, and it ain't going to last. And that's the story. This is time for new creation. Think and develop new ways that lead to action. And that's another part of what we're doing here in real repentance. For now, I want you to just do this. Choose life, not comfort. Choose life. Choose to find ways to make life meaningful. Let the shofar rock you on your tractor one morning or every morning. If you don't have it, don't do what I did. That won't work. There are apps that actually sound the shofar if you don't have one or don't know how to do it. You can get it and you can hear it. And it may not be this thing where you hear it and you're like, oh, wow, God, what a revelation from the sound. I'm going to change the world. You don't have to change the world. The world will be changed by positive changes in you, though, ultimately. And that's a little thing you get to do every day. So let the shofar be a part of your next few weeks as we make our way. It's a symbol with power to jumpstart that spiritual growth. And listen, there's no one to compare to. No one's watching you. It's your journey, and it is your choice. That's the great thing about it. Your choice. You can do it or not do it, and only you and God will know. To choose life, the best life, the one that God made you, we sang fearfully and wonderfully made, the life that God made you to live. If you're not there, you might be doing good, but you're not really rocking it, and you can. Choose life, not comfort. Shabbat Shalom. Let's stand together.